0: Father, we thank you for your goodness and your kindness to each one of us. We thank you, Father, that you are here and that your glory is here. Lord, will you open our eyes to see you? Will you open our hearts to hear what you have to say to us? Will you help us, Lord, to have soft hearts in your presence? Lord, will you please manifest yourself in this place and show us your glory, that our hearts, oh God, may respond to you. Forgive us, Lord, that we... We come to church sometimes and we just get into the rhythm of it. We want to meet with you. We need encounters with you because you are the one who changes us. So please, Lord, hear the cry of our hearts. Send your Holy Spirit upon us to awaken us from every slumber and to draw our hearts closer to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, here we are. We're still carrying on with our series being BTC. And this is looking at... The church is looking at what the church is. And really, it's also speaking to us or trying to encourage us. If this is the church, then we who are the people, not just the building. We've talked about that. Although the building is important from the point of view, it gives us a place to come and meet together. It gives us a place to gather. It gives us a place where we can experience together the things of God. But we of leave this building. We go out and we are the people in the world and we are the church and the church gathers last week we were looking at the issue of sabbath and how important it is for us to have that rhythm of six days work one day of rest and on that day of rest to focus on god to to give our attention to god to have rest but also to worship him and to come together as a people so that we can encourage one another in that worshiping of god so it's important that we have sabbath but today we're going to be looking at prayer we're going to be looking at the issue of prayer Jesus, when he made that triumphal entry into Jerusalem, what we celebrate as the day, uh, as uh, Palm Sunday, that day when he came in riding on a donkey, came into Jerusalem, people were cheering him and all that sort of thing. He came to the temple. And when he got to the temple, the first thing he did is to start to drive out all of these money changers and people that he found in the temple area. And he said this, Matthew 21, 13, It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer but you are making it a den of robbers. The house of God is to be called a house of prayer. So it's interesting there, Jesus wasn't just talking about the people as being the church, he's talking about the importance also of the building, and the building that is associated for us to gather as the church is to be a house of prayer. This is to be a place where people gather and pray together, and that's what he said of the temple back then in Jerusalem. I wonder if Jesus came in on a donkey today into Bromley, and he went around the churches. What would he be doing? Would he be driving things out? Would he be changing things? He has a concern that his house is a house of prayer. And when it comes to prayer, I think there's always things that we can learn. There's always things that we can uh, press on into. I believe that for us, God has something in prayer for us to rise up into and to gain more authority in and to make more confidence in so that we may see his kingdom come in a greater way. So there's plenty of things for us to learn. I just want to touch on Ezekiel 22. There's a challenge in this scripture when it comes to prayer. Let me read it to you, starting at verse 23. Again, a message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, give the people of Israel this message. In the day of my indignation, you will be like a polluted land, a land without rain. Your princes plot conspiracies just as lions stalk their prey. They devour innocent people, seeking treasures and extorting wealth. They make many widows in the land. Your priests have violated my instructions and defiled my holy things. They make no distinction between what is holy and what is not. And they do not teach my people the difference between what is ceremonially clean and unclean. They disregard my Sabbath days so that I am dishonored amongst them. Your leaders are like wolves who tear apart their victims. They actually destroy people's lives for money. And your prophets cover up for them by announcing false visions and making lying predictions. They say, my message is from the sovereign Lord when the Lord hasn't spoken a single word to them. Even common people oppress the poor, rob the needy, and deprive foreigners of justice. I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so that I would not have to destroy the land. But I found no one. So now I will pour out my fury on them, consuming them with the fire of my anger. I will heap on their heads the full penalty For their sins, I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. Now, there in Ezekiel, Ezekiel is speaking about what he sees is going on in Jerusalem, what has been going on. He speaks of the corrupt behavior that is being observed, the injustices that are there, the disregard for the ways of the Lord that are being exposed. The situation is so serious that God is saying, like, for goodness sake, where are the people to pray? Where are those people? Because, look, can you not see what's going on around you? Come on, we need to pray that God will come and intervene. That's what God is looking for. He's looking to be stirred in his heart by his people about the situations around them. Now, that was back then in Jerusalem. And we could easily say, well, okay, that's thousands of years ago. We've moved on from that. But you know what? As soon as you start to stop and look at, for instance, the United Kingdom or even other nations in the world, you stop and you look at, is there injustice? Absolutely there's injustice. Is there actually a lot of religious behavior, but actually not necessarily the power of God being displayed? Yes, that is true. Are people covering things up? Yes, they do. We could go on and on. Just as we look around us and we read our newspapers, there is something there that should be saying to us, whoa, we need to intercede. Are we in the same times, if the prophet Ezekiel was here today, would he be saying something similar to say like, and God is looking for a people who will actually get hold of what is going on out there and actually start to bring it before him and pray earnestly that God would bring a change. Would he find anybody? Or does he just find a lot of people thinking like, well, I know, I'm not quite sure what to say. It's challenging, isn't it? And that is what's happening today, I believe. that There's a situation all around us where there's a the desperate need for prayer. For instance, this scripture came. I read the scripture recently and it challenged me. John, it's because I read it in the New Living Translation rather than the NIV, and it's just got a slightly different slant on the words. John 16, verse 9. The world's sin, it says, the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. I read it and I whoa. The sin of the world is this that doesn't want to believe in God. Now, we know that to be true from the conversations you might have with people in your workplaces or even your neighbors or even your family members. It's like, no, no, that's okay for you. I'm I'm not interested in that sort of stuff. There's a disregard for God. You see what God calls that? He says, that is a sin because people do not believe in me. And it just makes me think, if that's the world's sin, if that's the one thing that God is saying, I recognize this to be a sin, they don't even know that of me. They don't even believe in me. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That's what scripture says. If that's the world's sin, then isn't that something that should be touching my heart and saying, God, please have mercy. These people are so blinded, they cannot see the glory of you. Creation itself is speaking all of your wonders. And yet there is a blindness over the people of the world that they can't see that. And it's not just they. Suddenly you come back to, Father, these people who are my nephews, my nieces, My sons, my daughters, my brothers, my sisters. They can't see. Father, I have no idea how to open their eyes. Only you can do that. So I lift them before you and I'm asking in the name of Jesus. Have mercy, Lord. Have mercy on our nation. Have mercy on our government. Have mercy on my family. And you find yourself, there is a need to pray when we understand that the sin in the land is that of people not believing when the evidence for God is all around. Anyway, these situations I'm talking about, just I, I just want to underline, look, there is a great need for us to pray. There's a great need for us to pray. So let's talk about prayer. How is your prayer life? Now, the immediate answer that usually we give, in fact, well, even when I, it, it could be better. You know. Like, we're not going to say, well, it's rubbish. We just say, it could be better. Because that A hey, will... <sighs> We all know that there's the need for prayer, okay? It's not the issue. The issue is why do we not do it? That's what we've got to look at because that's what, what are the things that prevent me? What is it that I don't understand about it? So let's, rather than look at those things, let's talk about what prayer is and let's move on. Point one, what is prayer all about? Prayer quite simply is this, it's relationship. Prayer is relationship with God. You know, it's not about bringing lists, it's not about, it's about having a relationship with your heavenly father. It's about making connection here on earth with him who is in heaven or all around us. Is making reality of that relationship. God is spirit, we are spirits but we're in this human body. We can't see him and so there's a distance, there's a sense of like, is God real? Even that question, can I believe in him? Prayer is about changing that. Prayer is about us having relationship with him. Prayer is about enabling us to make connection of us here. The frailty of me making connection with almighty God. Prayer is about relationship. Communication, as we know, is important to any relationship. And the thing is, in your workplaces, you're having communication face-to-face. In your homes, your, your family members, you're having communication face-to-face. But you see, this is it with God. We want to have communion face-to-face, but it seems like he's so distant. It says of Moses that God spoke to him face-to-face. Exodus 33, in the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face-to-face as one speaks to a friend. Now, I understand that. We all understand that because we know what it's like to speak to our friends where we are sitting across the table in Costa Coffee or something and you're having a chat to them. You are engaged with them. You can see them and therefore you're having relationship and you're connecting with them. But ultimately, what you're doing is you're talking. You're sharing. Prayer is relationship with God. Prayer is relationship with God. Do we want relationship? Amen. We do. Jesus had relationship with his father. So Jesus, who was God, yes we know that, but he became man. So now he comes as a man to this earth and as a man who has laid aside his majesty, as a man he wants connection with his heavenly father so that he can do his father's will. So what does he do? We read of Jesus praying. Luke 5.16 tells us, But Jesus often withdrew. To the wilderness for prayer. He goes to a place that's quiet. He goes to a place where he gets away from the noise, the hustle and the bustle, the distractions. He gets away to those places where he can pray. And in Luke 6, 12 and 13, it says, One day soon afterward, Jesus went up onto a mountain to pray and he prayed to God all night. And afterwards it says he came back and he picked out his disciples. He prayed all night. What does that mean? What does that look like? Is that our natural way? It's not our natural way. To be honest with you, I don't know what it is to pray all night because I've never prayed all night. I remember once when I went out to Africa, and they, uh, to Uganda, and they said, oh, we're going to have an all-night prayer meeting. And they said, you know, well, you Westerners, oh, we'll, we'll pick you up so you can come for part of it. <laughs> and they weren't being rude to us because, to be honest, they're just saying like, okay, we already know. We already know what your thoughts are. How do you do that? And so I went from, I don't know, 10 o'clock to 2 o'clock or something. But so I, I haven't experienced that. I'm just saying, but that's what Jesus did. He's just, he wanted relationship with his Father. And that was so, so necessary for him. For him at times, it required an all-night session before God to make connection. All I know is this. I want relationship with God. That's what I know. I want relationship with him. And therefore, prayer has to be part of my life. So prayer is all about relationship. But let's talk at the practice of prayer. What does it mean for us? Firstly, the practice of prayer is about dependency. The very fact that we pray shows that we're trying to reach out to God for something. That's not a bad thing. That's the picture of what we're talking about. We're talking about prayer, actually, is the language of dependency. It shows that I need you. I need you. And so often we have urgent situations or things that come to us, and we reach out to God for us. Adam Clark, an 18th century Bible commentator, said this, Prayer is the language of dependence. He who prays not is endeavoring to live independently of God. This was the first curse and continues to be the greatest curse of mankind. That's true. That is true. It's true because prayer shows, I need you. The lack of prayer quite simply shows this I don't need you. That's putting it in very basic terms. Now, when I look at that in my own life, it starts, oh my goodness. I know I have these times of prayer when I'm doing what I ought to do because I know it's the right thing to do and then I walk away from that as now I can get on with what I need to get on with. It almost underlines that very thing. Dependency is when you're saying, I need you. You look at a young child, they put out their hand to hold on to their mum or dad where they're going, they want to be led, they don't know. Yes, certainly they cry and they get frustrated at things, but nevertheless, they need their parents to oversee their lives. They're totally dependent. For their food, all of their things. They're dependent upon their parents. Until their age, and you know we come to it of the teenage years, when they start to learn, I want to be independent. Now that's a different issue for a separate morning. But I'm looking at dependency. The child who wants to be dependent, who is dependent. That image is what God is looking for in us. Because aren't we his children? Yes, we are. We're his children. He's looking for us to be dependent upon him. But you see, what happens with us is so often we say, like, well, I don't need you. I'm okay with where I'm at. Believe you me, this is a problem for us. The presence of continual prayer in our lives underlines the fact that we're seeking God. The lack of prayer in our lives underlines the fact that we think we do not need him and we're okay in ourselves. And if we can't get hold of anything else this morning, just to ponder on that is a good thing because it will help us more to see how much we need God or even to see how much we realize we we think we don't need Him. Andrew Murray said this in one of his books, the level of confidence we have in prayer is directly linked to our understanding of the one we're praying to. Now, that's not just like, you know, do I know everything about God? But it's like the more that we understand who God is, then the more that we're going to be drawn towards him and to want to pray to him. The more I understand that God is the creator and the sustainer of all things, the more I understand that everything therefore exists because he has made them and they are kept From moment to moment by his sustaining power then the more I am going to understand my goodness if this is what God is and he is literally sustaining me from moment to moment then gosh I need him and more than that he is able to help me because he keeps me from day to day but you see our thinking is like this well I've got food in the fridge I had a good night's sleep last night. I've woken up again to another day. I've got plenty of things I've got organized in my diary to do. You know, I haven't got time for that. I need to get on with my life. You see, we've lost sight of the fact of hang on, God has created me. It's actually God who gives me the breath to actually be sustained even now. My life is in his hands. But that's a battleground because my life may be in his hands, but I keep wanting to take my life back into my own hands and organize things for myself. The fact is we lose sight of the greatness of God. But the more that we give ourselves to understanding who God is, what he is like, what he has done, it helps us so much more in our prayer life because we have confidence in who he is. Therefore, we get stronger in that. You see, God really is... The supreme one he really is over every situation now I was reading this during the week John I was going through John's gospel John 19 the story of Jesus before Pilate so I'm just reading that section and let me read it to you uh, from verse 9 it says Pilate he uh, this is of Pilate Pilate he took Jesus back into the headquarters again and asked him where are you from but Jesus gave no answer Why don't you talk to me, Pilate demanded. Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or to crucify you? You can see the scene. Jesus, well, we know the scene. Jesus is there and he's being tried by Pilate. and He's come back into, as it says, Pilate's headquarters. He's being asked these questions. Pilate is demanding of him. Pilate has the power. He is the authority. He is the biggest authority in that area, supported by the Roman government. He has power of life and death over Jesus. We know that. So Jesus being asked some fairly simple questions, but he remains silent. It annoys Pilate. He's frustrated by it. Don't you realize who I am? Don't you realize the power that I have? That's what Pilate is saying. And then Jesus speaks. Then Jesus said, You would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greatest sin. Just If you were Pilate, you are utterly crushed at that moment. It doesn't matter about all your... Who I am, the power that I have. Jesus just says, Listen, you're not going to have any power unless it was given to you. Because you see, he's underlining the fact God is is above everything. He's the supreme one. And he even orchestrates people like you to be in positions like this, to do the things you're doing, because that's helping fulfill what is written in the scripture about me, that I may accomplish everything that has been said. That's true. But it also meant that Jesus was having to go through a very difficult time. But one thing he knew, even though it was hard, God, his Father, is over all. God is supreme and he is in charge. The more that we can understand that, the more it will help our prayer. In fact, if we want our prayer life to deepen, then we must strengthen ourselves in the understanding of who God is. That will give us confidence in prayer. That's why the Lord's Prayer starts. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We're acknowledging our heavenly Father. That is who you are. We honor you and we praise you for who you are. That's how it starts. That's how the prayer that Jesus gave his disciples is meant to be because it's focusing upon him. You need to know who I am and you need to be able to worship me and stand before me and see who I am and understand about me because then you will say, Lord, these things that I've got problems with, I can see that you are more than able and that you are in charge. It gives us confidence. Here's a good question to ask ourselves. Does my life show my complete dependency upon God or not? If you're like me, you don't necessarily want to answer that publicly. Jesus' life did. That's the difference. Jesus' life did show that he had this complete dependency upon God. John 5 verse 30, Jesus says this, I can do nothing on my own. Now, can I just point out, that's strictly not true. Jesus could have done anything. I fancy fish and chips now. He could have gone off and had fish and chips. Or or whatever the Jewish equivalent was at that time in history. (laughs) We won't rest on that at all. It's not that he couldn't do anything. I've got no ability. He's a human being just like us. He's a man, a lady, just, well not a lady, you know what I mean. He's a human like us. It doesn't mean to say he couldn't make up his own mind what he wanted to do. What it's saying is, I can only do the things that God wants me to do. That's my mission. That's what I'm giving myself to. I need to hear from him first. I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. If only we could receive this you see the difference between jesus jesus is dedicated to his father he says whatever you want to do that's exactly what i'm going to do that's what i'm all about it's not any surprise is it that he said to his disciples john 6 verse 29 jesus told them this is the only work god wants from you believe in the one he has sent it's funny the only work that we're supposed to be doing as christians is this is believing in god because you see, the more that we believe in God and understand who He is and what He is doing and how He is supporting everything, the more that we're going to say, God, you have the ability to help me. Look, In fact, I'm not here for myself. I'm here because you have created me to accomplish your will upon the earth. Therefore, I need relationship. I need that prayer connection with you so that I can hear what it is you want me to do. So often I find I get to the point where I'm thinking like this, God, I'm praying. So I'm praying, God, please help me. I haven't heard anything yet. I'm not sure. Okay, you don't seem to want to give me anything for today. Fair enough. I'll carry on getting on with my life. And when you want to intervene, I know you will. That's an attitude that is within us. That's not the same as Jesus. Jesus would be saying, I can't leave the place of prayer until I know what it is my Father wants me to do. Because I'm only supposed to be doing the things he has called me to. There's a difference there. And it's what we struggle with. We struggle with this relational connection. Because sometimes it's not very deep. Sometimes it's shallow. Sometimes, to be honest, it's just religious. We know what we should be doing, but we haven't come through to the place of reality of what it's all about. When you meet with him, when he speaks, it changes your life. We can all think back to things that have happened maybe in a church service, in a seminar, maybe just quietly at home. When you're reading the Bible, just when you're kind of catch a train or something, God just brings a thought back into your mind. Mu- wow. Just one word from heaven can affect your life dramatically. We know that. Our work, if you like, the thing that we need to be involved with is seeking God and actually believing fully in Jesus Christ. Listen, the practice of prayer will not really happen unless we see that we are actually dependent upon God. Our understanding of our dependency will cause us to go to him and to have relationship with him. Our independency, our desire to keep control of our lives will actually keep us away from the relationship with God that, in effect, we're so hungry for. I'm just telling you. This is how it is. This is the battle that we have. This is the battle that I personally have. The practice of prayer takes dependence. Secondly, The practice of prayer takes time. We might as well just accept it. This is true. The practice of prayer, prayer will not happen without time being made for it. It won't happen because we're too busy. A quote that's accredited to Stephen Covey, the guy who wrote a lot about management and its importance. He says, don't let the urgent crowd out the important. Don't let the urgent crowd out the important. Urgent things happen all the time. Suddenly, you thought everything was going all right, and suddenly your son or daughter's crying from the living room because they've just fallen over and hit their head on the sofa. You you know those, right, you've got to attend to that. But I was just cooking the meal. Which is more important? This is the urgent, so I've got to deal with the urgent. And that is happening in our lives all the time. There are important things that we're about, plans that we have, but urgent things are coming to us all the time. Whether it be the cry of a friend, or the cry of a neighbor, or a frustration at work, they're happening all the time. Okay? We have urgent things coming into our lives, and the reason they come in with such noise and ferocity is because they are urgent. However... If we don't actually make sure the important is taking place, the urgent can overwhelm us continually. And it's not always major crises. I mean, they are urgent things and they require require attention. You know, like the tap's just fallen off and water is now filling up the kitchen. Help! That's urgent. I remember I was on a Zoom call uh, during the lockdown period of time. It was a lunchtime Bible reading. And suddenly I've got Helen coming into the room and she's got waving the mobile phone at me. Henry's on the phone. This is my son, Henry. Well, you know, I've been doing this. You know how that's just a, I'm doing this, this is... Yes, but you don't understand. And it was a water leak in Henry's flat. It was flooding out with water. He, and yes, I had to go immediately. And yes, there was water all over the floor. It's the washing machine. I don't know, whatever. Anyway, the urgent does have to be looked at. But what I'm saying is the thing with us is urgent things gain great priority. So much so that we forget important things. And we have to make decisions about what is important. Is prayer? No. Is relationship with heaven important to me? Yes. Okay, and therefore I need to make sure that urgent things don't press that out. That's the point. Because in life we can be so busy that things just press in upon us. But we have to make those decisions on what we need to prioritize because that's important. And we want to prioritize our relationship with God. The practice of prayer needs the provision of time. The practice of prayer needs the provision of time. Emily Rodder, who is an Australian children's author, she said this, You can always find time for the thing you really, really want to do. You can always find time for the thing you really, really want to do. Now, just taking that particular step, yeah, that's true. I know that's true. Because even in busy lives, you know, I actually know I do want to lose weight, so I am going to go out to the gym or whatever. I will find time for that. Why? Because it becomes important to you. It's important to me, so therefore that's what I'm going to do. And we know even in the midst of our busyness, the important things we find we're going to do. So what this leads us to, you see, is this. If we find there's not much time for our prayer life, it just means it's not a priority. It's not important to me. Now, don't be offended by that. Understand what we're dealing with. Why isn't it important to me? What is it that's happened to me that has so overtaken me without me realizing that actually I no longer consider this to be a priority? It's not a question about whether we ought to. It's whether we want to. There's a big difference. And it's a battleground for every one of us. I'm the first one to put my hand up with this. This is a battleground for every one of us. It's a battleground for me. You can always find time for the thing you really want to do. The issue with prayer is nothing to do whether we think we ought to do it. The issue, as I say, is whether we want to do it. So very little prayer will take place if we don't make space for it. And can I just say this, starting with 5 or 10 minutes daily is a good starting place. It's a good starting place. I know sometimes I say, well, we need to go longer than that. Yes, that's true. But listen, if you need to start somewhere, starting with 5 to 10 minutes daily is a great starting place. In fact, it's so much better than no time at all. That's the truth. The practice of prayer is about dependency, and the practice of prayer takes time. Thirdly, let me just look at the challenges of prayer. And I need to be a bit brief on this. The challenges of prayer is pride. I'm going to cut straight to the point. The challenges of prayer is our pride. That is that we're more wrapped up in ourselves and our own interests and the feelings that those things give us than we are in understanding that we need to pray and have fellowship with God. We often think, I don't need to pray. or That doesn't do anything for me. I didn't get an answer, so therefore I can't be bothered to pray. It's a very serious situation because it actually puts God in a position where he resists us. We're so used to hearing about how God loves us and cares for us and wants everything for us. And those things are true. God does love us. God does care for us. However, the Bible also clearly states this. James 4 verses 6 to 8. As the scriptures say, says James, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. I'm reading this and I'm thinking like, whoa, he's speaking to us. And I'm familiar with those scriptures, but sometimes you have to read them again. So God opposes the proud. You see, what is exemplified in our lives is when I think like, well, I haven't got time to pray. What that's saying is actually, look, I'm too busy, God. You don't understand. I need to get on with what I've got to get on with because this is important. Yeah, but what about what I want? No, no, no. I am... I can't hear what you want, God. I tried. I had a go. I didn't understand anything you said. So look, I've got to get on with my life. That's how we do. So we're not judging ourselves. We're just saying this is what life is like. I'm in that place and I'm just getting on with things before God. But you see, what that is actually saying is, look, God, I'm in control of my life. I'm in control. I'm doing what I think is right. Not what you're asking of me. And that is prideful. Because we're elevating ourselves. And this is exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden, where that snake came, where Satan came and tempted Eve. He's really saying, Look, you can be like God. You can be in this position. You can take that role. If you eat this fruit, once that fruit is eaten, that temptation, that sin, that pride comes into us and it's part of us. It's just how we live. But now, you see, we've been called out of that darkness. We've been chosen by him in heaven to live life his way. He has rescued us from the dominion of Satan and brought us into the kingdom of his son. That's what has happened to us. So we haven't just got a ticket to heaven. Our lives have been saved that we might live for the glory and honor of him who has saved us. That's what is happening. But you see, pride keeps coming back and we're dealing with this pride daily. All of us are dealing with this. This is not the point of like looking at somebody and saying, well, I know that they need to listen to this message. <laughs> Down the front row, especially, as well as the back row. We all need to hear the message. This issue is affecting every one of us because it holds us from that place of relationship with heaven. It's holding us from knowing him and knowing what his will is It's holding us from understanding the time that we need to give to prayer. It's preventing us because it's a work of darkness that is happening. If I can just help these people to consider themselves to be better than others. Just to be, no, 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 not better than others. They're just living their life in the best way that they can. Do we have that space where we're connecting to the reality of heaven? I tell you why it's so important for the church to get hold of this. If we don't get hold of this, there's no reality in us. And the people out there are looking for reality. Is he real? They just want to know that God's real. Because not many of them pray. Many of them are looking out. They just want to know that they can be certain that he is real. If there's ever been a time for the church to be awakened and for us to display, he is real. He is real. And our lives, not just to speak it, but our lives to show it, then people can be transformed. Folks, prayer is about relationships. And if we really want to understand prayer, then we need to make sure that we are living dependently upon God and we understand our need of dependency upon Him. And we need to make time for Him. And we need to understand that one of the biggest hindrances of our praying is our pride. Unfortunately, we've, we've run out of time here. But Father, we just want to honor you. Please, Lord, have mercy. Have mercy, Lord. Lord, your house is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. Lord, we're asking you to do something in this place that will cause that to be a statement of truth. Something in our lives, Lord, that would draw us closer to you. Father, forgive our excuses. Forgive all of our hardness of heart. Forgive us, Lord for our our foolishness. Forgive us, Lord, that we don't understand. Lord, we cry out to you. Not only have mercy, Father, but send that spirit of prayer upon our lives that we actually may have the encouragement from within to seek you. We need your help, Lord. We need your help. So please have mercy. Come and visit us. Come and change us. Come and help us. We cry out to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com